All right. I, I failed to mention to pray for Darren and all of those that are gone to Sturgis uh, out there to uh, witness to those folks. If you know anything at all about Sturgis, it's a it's a bad, rough crowd. You uh, be better off if you don't Google it and, and look at anything. I haven't, but <laughs> believe me, you'd be better off not to. And it's just, if you can imagine a filthy hell hole and all of the stuff going on out there, and and uh, they're right there in the middle of it. you got their own building that uh, someone purchased, I guess, for that reason some years ago, and they're serving meals and witnessing to people, and uh, so pray for them and their safety and their effectiveness. Also, I have a request for a church letter uh, from the Christ Church Baptist uh, in Champ- on Champion Forest for Jonathan Mills. So, uh, what's the favor of the church regarding this? Fred, all right. Motion's made. Second, all right. All in favor of let me know on lift the hand. All opposed, like sign. All right. Sandy, don't let me forget to give that to you. Not that I would ever forget anything, but. <laughs> well, open your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter number 14. Proverbs chapter number 14. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, we got down through verse number 10, and we're picking up tonight in verse number. 11, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 11. The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. To me, there's two key words in that verse. The word house and the word tabernacle. And, of course, there are two different kinds of people mentioned in this verse. There are those that are identified as the wicked and those that are classified as the upright. Notice in regards to the wicked, he speaks about their house. Now, the house is something, of course, they build. It's something they plan, something they build. And as you know, uh, most unsafe people uh, tend to live here like they're going to live forever. I mean, you know, they, they put their roots down deep, and it's, it's as though that they're planning for their own security, their own enjoyment, and everything uh, for them revolves around that. They want to make themselves as comfortable, as secure, as happy as they possibly can, and so they... Uh, they build their houses, they do whatever they can, whatever is humanly possible uh, to provide those things for themselves. But notice in the end, when it's all said and done, it says the house of the wicked shall be overthrown. You know, so many times we sing God bless America. And uh, th- that's all right. That ought to be our prayer, by the way. God bless America. We ought to be praying for that. But on the other hand, whenever we look at what's going on in America and we look at people, you know, get all bent out of shape about Cecil the Lion and then we continue to slaughter all of these little innocent unborn babies every year, uh, just murder. And, and you, you know, you, you've just got to wonder to yourself 
how much longer God's going to tolerate that wickedness. The house of the wicked shall be overthrown. The Bible says in Numbers, uh, it says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin's a reproach to any people. And so this is another warning to whether it's a nation or whether it's an individual, the house of the wicked shall be overthrown. But when he speaks about those that are upright, notice he uses the term tabernacle, which is a tent. And this is something entirely different, a tent. I remember whenever I was a kid, um, we had a family move into the neighborhood and uh, down, down a little gravel road down there and back in some kind of woods, and they had bought one of these, uh, bought, <laughs> stole, I don't know where they got it. I, uh, anyway, they, they, had, uh, they had an old army tent. I'm talking about a big tent. I mean, uh, that thing was probably 40 by 50 or something like that. It was, it was huge. And for a long time, you know, nobody knew what was going on back in there, but come to find out, uh, they were living there. And uh, I can remember even going down there to their tent. They didn't have a house. They lived in that tent, and they had three or four kids, uh, uh, maybe more than that, but they lived in that tent. Well, you know, uh, sometimes we Christians forget about the fact that we are pilgrims and strangers in this world. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to live in a tent instead of a house. That's not the point. The point is that we've got to remember this world is not our home. And, uh, boy, whenever we stop and think about that and we live in the light of that fact, that that it relieves us of, of a lot of pressure because everything we've got, you know, someday we're going to leave behind. And remember, the righteous person are, is, is the one who sets his affection upon things above and not upon the things of this earth. In other words, he is content with the things that God provides, and as a result of that, because he's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things are added Unto him, when we look back and we think about the nation of Israel and their and their journey, and we think about them, you know, living in tents and uh, uh, just wandering uh, about with, you know, what we would think of without any security whatsoever. Uh, I'll never forget hearing a preacher several years ago talking about visitation uh, over. He'd gone over into some some third world country and uh, go on visitation. Over here we call it door knocking. And so the preacher was over there and with the missionary and talked that was going to be out door knocking. He said, well, you don't knock on doors here. They live in, in huts. And he said, what do you do? You holler, hold the dog. <laughs> so, so, you know, there's a, a lot of people live in a lot of different ways, but I love that old song, A Tent or a Cottage, Why Should I Care? They're building a palace for me over there. Though exile from home, yet still I can sing, All glory to God, I'm a child of the King. And we need to remember that. He says the, the upright shall flourish, and, and that word's implying being blessed. And uh, when God gives a promise like that, we can depend on it. The, for us, the best is yet to come. It might be a tent down here, but Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And my Father's house are what? Many 
mansions. Amen. Verse number 12, he says, there is a way. Boy, I tell you, these few verses right here just speak so much to our world today. I, I hope I can get that across tonight. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, just let your conscience be your guide, you know, the people that believe that, you know, just take your best guess and go with that, go with your gut feeling. I was so glad that I got an email today from someone in another state, and they had written some time ago about some important decisions in their life to make and whether they ought to move here or ought to move there and what have you. And so I tried my best, uh, since they asked for it, to, uh, you know, provide them a little bit of counsel and guidance and uh, and basically was saying, you know, God's not the author of confusion. If you, if, if you doubt, don't. You know, that's the way I look at it, if God's not the author of confusion, if you got any doubt about it, just don't do it. You've heard people say, well, do something even if it's wrong. No, no. You know, times is better not to do anything. And anyway, I got the letter back today saying, thank you so much. I've made the decision that I'm not going to move, that God needs me here. And uh, he's shown that to me, and thank you. But there's so many people that make important decisions in their life without any consideration for what God says about it whatsoever. And and these people that say, let your conscience be your guide, you know, the fact is your conscience is not an infallible guide. You say that, you know, to some of those headhunters, you know, uh, and the cannibals, and you might be breakfast, you know, to, if you're tied to a stake there, you know, and they're contemplating whether they're going to eat you or not, you wouldn't say, well, just let your conscience be your guide because they don't have any any conscience about that, you see. Your conscience can be very deceptive unless it's enlightened and ruled by God. It'll get you in a lot of trouble. And it's helpful only to the extent that it's directed by the Word of God. And when that's the case... When that's the case, it enables us to make wise decisions and proceed on a safe course. One writer, and I, I, I can't remember his name, I jotted the, this note down several years ago, but he said, speaking about the conscience, he said, when it is warped by prejudice, weakened by disease and disobedience, judicially blinded in punishment, and in consequence of sin, it loses all power of moral judgment and becomes inoperative of good. And then, as to the way that seemeth at the moment right, the end thereof are the ways of death. That's why we've got to be so careful about who we follow, whether it's our conscience or whether it's what somebody else is telling us. And we've got people, I, I could stand here and, and mention some of the most vile, filthy sins imaginable. We could talk about those tonight. But yet there are people involved in those sins that in their own darkened mind believe they're right. They, they really do. 
and uh, you know they're not knowledgeable of the Word of God like you are. And a lot of them, you know, they go to school and they've heard the teacher say this and the teacher say that. And maybe mom and dad, maybe they heard it from them that, that that's, that's okay. You don't have to worry about that, you know, even though God's Word condemns it. And so we've got to be careful who we follow. And we need to instill that in our children. I remember fishing one night and, uh, and uh, if, if I remember, I was on Table Rock Lake or one of those lakes up there in Missouri and fishing way out there at pitch dark night. And uh, so I didn't worry a whole lot about getting back because there was a particular light on a dock, and I, I knew I'd get back to that light and everything would be all right. Well, you know, uh, it just so happened when I started back and I started toward a light that I thought was the right light, and I just kept going and going and going. And I got there and realized, wait a minute, that's the wrong light. And, and so then I spent no telling how long feeling my way around in the dark and trying to uh, find the right light out on the lake. And uh, let me tell you, out there on one of those big lakes, sometimes it can get dangerous, and it's not a good time to be out there, you know, at nighttime unless you're well-equipped for that. And let me tell you, life can be dangerous, and don't just follow anybody. Somebody says, oh, well, but that person is my friend. They really care about me. And, 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 and at, the same time, at the same time, that person may be your deadliest enemy. You know, I've noticed over the years that a lot of times, a lot of times what people are looking for is, is attention. And the reason they join gangs is to get attention. You know, they come from broken homes and what have you, uh, maybe low-income families and, and, and problems like that, and they, uh, they don't have any social network like we do. They're not established in church or anything, so, uh, you know, they're going to hook up with somebody that shows them attention. And by the way, that's exactly the way the gay community works nowadays is showing attention, you know, and boy, they're... It's like, like I've said before, you know, I've been in some churches where back before I was saved, I had more fellowship in bars and more friends, close friends in the bar rooms than I've had in some churches. And, that, you know, that's a shame. Uh, I mean, you know, it may be way off course naturally, but the fact of the matter is, you know, we need one another and we've got to be careful about following just anyone, even though they try to persuade us, look, I just want what's best for you, you know. I, I just want you to do what's going to make you happy. Well, the, the very thing that makes you happy may be the thing that destroys you. You know, the Bible talks about being pleasure in sin, but it's just for a season. It's not going to last forever. There's a way that seems right. And, uh, you know, if we just... Ask our neighbor, how's this sound to you? He might say, oh, yeah, that's, that sounds like you got it right and you've got a good conscience about it. And, uh, you know, Paul said that even back during the time before he was saved, he said, I lived in a good conscience all of this time, you know. He, I thought I was doing right. I didn't know I was wrong. And that isn't, you know, till the Holy Spirit began to convict him of his sinfulness and and he realized he had been following the the you know the wrong thing instead of following the lord so verse 13 even in laughter now 
You know, I'm, I'm thinking that probably we need to take this verse in connection with the last verse. But whether you connect it with the last verse or, uh, or just take it as a standalone verse really makes no difference. The point is the same. Even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. I just mentioned bar rooms. And, and it's so amazing. Some of the most miserable people in all of the world are found in bar rooms. When you go in there, you know, and I hope you don't, but uh, the people want to put on the happy face. Oh, they're really having a good time, you know. They're really living it up. And uh, uh, this, this is the happy life, the high life. Uh, but you don't see them later on with blurry eyes and a splitting headache and in all kinds of trouble and end up in divorce and all of the problems associated with that. And there are a lot of people that try to pretend like they're happy. But notice this is even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. They're pretending to be happy when actually they're hurting. And they try to hide their sorrow by forcing a smile Outwardly they appear merry, and inwardly they're miserable. I read uh, the description of a, a woman, and, uh, and, and, and it said this. She hated closing time at the bar. The crowds had thinned out, and the lights were unplugged, and everything quieted down. It got too quiet. She had to face the thought of going back to her lonely apartment, she came to the bar uh, to melt into the noise and laughter. She could be charming in the right setting. She could at least have a good time for a few hours, but it always came to an abrupt end, and she had to face her desperate unhappiness. She sometimes wished she could find a party which never ended, but that was senseless. Eventually, she would have to come back to reality and her problems would all be waiting for her when she did. Uh, you know, whenever I read that, I thought, what a sad picture that is of a, a, a true story of a woman that had related her feelings to someone else, and, and they're describing what she said. And that, that picture is repeated over and over and over Again, the world is full of hurting people. They're looking for those parties that never end. You know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And, uh, and yet they never find the peace and the joy and, uh, simply because they don't turn to the Lord. So even while they're laughing inside, their heart is breaking. Now, verse 14, the backslider in heart... <clears throat> shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. <clears throat> the, the word backslide speaks about those that have reverted back to their worldly ways. Remember, this doesn't have anything in the world to do with salvation. You might have heard some people talk about, well, so-and-so used to be a Christian, but they... <clears throat> they backslid, and uh, now they're not a Christian. Well, this has nothing to do with that. 
I like what the old country preacher, he said, you can't backslid unless you've, you know, slid forward first. There's got to be some movement forward. If you're a child of God, you you are as secure now as you will ever be. You're not going to be any more saved when you get to heaven than you are right now. Uh, it's going to be a whole lot better, a whole lot different, but you couldn't be any more a child of God than what you are. But the fact of the matter is, even though our relationship remains intact regardless of what of what we do, our fellowship with God can be severely affected by our manner of life. The backslider in heart, and uh, that was one of the words used in reference on several occasions of the children of Israel. And it's absolutely mind-boggling when you think about their story, you, you'll have to forgive me, folks. I, I was afraid I've had these coughing spells, and if I get started, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done uh, and have to walk off, but, <clears throat> and I'm having trouble with that. But you think about God delivering the nation of Israel from Egyptian bondage. Now think about it. Here they are, <clears throat> delivered from Egyptian bondage, and on their way to the promised land... Thank you. And uh, God says, when you get there, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. You won't have to build any houses because they're already built. You know, I'm going to take the houses away from those sinners of the Canaanites, and I'm going to give you the houses. You won't have to plant any vineyards. Everything's going to be there for the taking. You won't have to work for it. It's all free. And what do they do? They They just get started good on the journey and they start murmuring and complaining and 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 they're pining away saying oh we we wish we were back in the land of egypt back in the land of egypt we miss the leek and the onion and the garlic and things like that you know uh and, and this is what backsliding is all about but notice here Whenever we think about being backslidden, we generally always think only about the activity, the sinful thing that we're doing. And sin is the evidence that we have backslidden. You know, if if, if I'm living my life out of the will of God, doing things that God forbids me to do, that's an evidence I'm backslidden regardless of what I say about it. I'm backslidden, you know, and, and, and the sad thing is a lot of times we're backslidden and we don't know it or we don't even want to admit it. And that's why I say, in my opinion, the best description of a backslider is when we stop growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment you start stop making spiritual progress, you are backslidden. But notice what he says here. Now, we've been talking about the activity But notice the attitude. In other words, we've been talking about the result of being backslidden, but at the root of the problem is what? The backslider in heart. The backslider in heart. In in other words, there is not even any reference here to the illegal, sinful activity He's describing something that is going on in the heart of a person. And so even though it never breaks out into full-blown, vivid, visual sin for everybody else to see, 
We can be backslidden. Why? Because the condition of our heart is not in accordance to God's Word. That's why, you know, the Bible tells us, you know, with all diligence we're to keep the heart. Why? Because out of the heart it uh, proceeds, you know, everything Jesus said. It's, It's all rooted and grounded in the heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. And notice, whenever we think about the, the heart, he says, keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, notice what he says. Here's the evil effect of that. He says, they shall be filled with their own ways. So many times I've said sin has its own built-in punishment. They shall be filled with their own ways uh in in other words whenever whenever we violate god's word god doesn't have to do anything out of the ordinary he doesn't have to do anything supernatural to punish us now he might do that but he he doesn't need to do that all he has to do is just let us go our way they shall be filled with their own ways in other words they'll be sickened by their own sin Because a child of God, out of the will of God, cannot possibly enjoy the life that they're living. They're going to be miserable. That's the the result of it. And that's why, you know, we talk about God giving certain principles and precepts that we're to live by. and, and, And God does that. Why? Well, it's for our own good. We benefit from it. There's a great reward in us keeping the Word of God. I'm not talking about rewards in heaven now. I'm talking about the reward of knowing that you've done what is right, the benefit that you derive from it, the peace that you enjoy as a result, and you can put your head on the pillow late at night and go to sleep without a guilty conscience knowing that you've done your best to serve the Lord. And so... The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Another, another way, you know, of saying sin never pays. And a good man shall be satisfied from himself. And, and that's simply talking about the fact that the good man will find satisfaction from within himself. That is, that he doesn't have to depend upon any external source to make him happy. A good man shall be satisfied. Isn't that a wonderful word, satisfied? To think about being, you know, you can use whatever word. You can use content. You can use peace or whatever. But it all amounts to satisfaction. That was the thing that Solomon was looking for in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're looking for satisfaction, some kind of fulfillment in life. And and if, if you're a child of God, you don't have to look outside yourself to find that, and, and by that I mean you don't have to look out into the world. You don't have to depend upon somebody else to make you happy. And so many times we allow other people to make us miserable, and, that, and, and there's no reason for that. When you stop and think about the joy and the peace and the happiness uh, of a Christian, that's something that no person can take away from you. You have to surrender that. You have to give it up. Because within you, as a child of God, you have it within you in order to have this satisfaction that he's talking about here. Why? Well, it's because, as Paul said, our sufficiency is of God. 
And if God is dwelling within us, He is our perpetual source of satisfaction. He's the bread. And He said, you know, you eat of this bread, you'll never be hungry again. Uh, You drink of this water, you'll never be thirsty again. And so as we live in communion with Him, we're constantly satisfied, filled with all of the goodness that He brings into our life. Now verse 15, uh, Try to make it through one more verse here. The simple, remember we've already talked about this person earlier on several occasions, generally a reference to those that are young and inexperienced and uh, not something, you know, somebody that we might think of as simple-minded in the sense of being uh, retarded or something like that. The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. Uh, man, whenever, whenever you look around today and, you, and, and, and the different beliefs that people entertain and you wonder how in the world can somebody be so gullible as to believe something like that? Uh, you know, people, you know, the certain ones, college professors even, what have you, tell us, well, we need to be really open-minded we need to be open to the opinions and the ideas of others. And in doing that, we're too easily led astray when we just open up our mind and, as he says here, and just believe every word. And he says here, the prudent man, this is talking about the person that has wisdom, the person with knowledge. He says, he looketh well to his going. And in in another verse in Proverbs, he talks about pondering the path of his feet. And and that means to stop and to think about where you're putting your foot down, considering where you're going and what you're doing. And we need to do that. The prudent man looketh well to his going. You don't just plunge headlong out in the darkness. Uh, We uh, some time ago got a a new bed, and this crazy thing, uh, the the footboard, which I hate because my, anyway, uh, uh, I don't like footboards, but uh, it it comes out and you think, you, you think it's out to the end, but it doesn't. It dips down and comes out like that and then goes down just right. And I, still after uh, after all of this time, I have a tendency, if I'm not really careful, to start around to my side of the bed and, well, you know what happens. I get a knot, another knot on my ankle because, because I'm not, you know, thinking about that. I see the edge of the bed and I think that's it, but it's not it. Whenever you're walking in the darkness or the or a dim light, you've got to really be careful what you're doing. And Whenever we think about the world that we live in and all of the voices that are shouting for our attention, whether you turn the radio on or or whether it's the TV or whatever it is, everywhere you go there's somebody shouting for your attention, trying to persuade you to go in their direction, to adopt their belief and what have you. And we need to ponder the steps that we take and take into consideration, you know, as Paul said uh, in the New Testament, he said that we're to walk circumspectly. We're to be, I often think about a cat, you know, a cat walking on a, on the top of a fence and just very carefully 
placing their foot down so as to not fall. And that's the way we need to walk through life. The prudent man looketh well to his going. He's not blindly following others. So that's a good place to end there because it takes us basically right back where we started in our very first verse there tonight in verse number 11 about the destruction that comes upon the wicked and the way in verse 12 that seems right that ends up uh, in death. So we'll, we'll just wrap it up there tonight and thank you for being here and your attention and putting up with my stammering around this evening. Anyone have a final word before we leave? Brother Barry? 